We are uh, going to study um, someone who might as well be known as the unknown carpenter. Um, not a lot is known about Joseph. We know him as Jesus's earthly father or foster father or stepfather. And, and we know that Joseph was a carpenter, but that's, that's basically about it. He's relatively unknown. Uh, we, we know some of the things he did, and yet we, we don't really know who he was um, as a person. But like everyone mentioned in the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the Spirit of God inspired the writers to record these people's stories so that we can learn from them. So today we're going to look at the events as chronicled in Matthew chapter 1, uh, traditionally read around this time of the year. So um, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles if you want to and follow along Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and uh, I'll read it out for you. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph is only mentioned in a handful of sections in the Bible. We, we find him in today's study verses and then continuing into Matthew chapter 2. He's also found in Luke chapter 1 and continuing into chapter 2 as well. And that's basically it. Those are the only chapters and, and verses that he's involved in. Um, so here's a few brief things that we know about Joseph. Um, he lived in, in Nazareth. Um, in, in the area of the Galilee. So that's about 60 miles directly north of Jerusalem. And we know he's, he was a carpenter by trade, but carpenters during that time, during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, were more than just the carpenters that we know today. So they, we know carpenters, they, they have a, a little shop, they build furniture. But carpenters during that time built large farm equipment. They built homes, they built large buildings. In fact, they actually worked with stone, very similar to stonemasons, so, which is very interesting because in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ uses a lot of imagery dealing with stone, cornerstones, building homes on rocks, stone foundations. This imagery was something that people of that time could visually relate to. Um, we also know that Joseph was no longer amongst the living when the Lord Jesus Christ began his public ministry uh, because at the wedding feast in Cana, Joseph wasn't there. That was where Jesus turned water into wine. And another thing we know about Joseph and Mary was that they were not wealthy. And we know this from an account in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, where it's written, and this is from the Amplified Version. And when the time came for their purification, that is, the mother's purification and the baby's dedication, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, set apart as a firstborn, 
as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy, set apart and dedicated to the Lord. And they came also to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, to be appropriate for a family of modest means, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. So a, a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons, um, that comes from Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. Um, and that offering was made by someone who could not afford to sacrifice a lamb uh, in the purification ritual. If they didn't have a lamb to sacrifice, then that meant that that family was not wealthy. Uh, that they could offer only two birds as a sacrifice tells us that Mary and Joseph were most likely a poor couple. And the last place we see Joseph is the uh, event in Luke chapter 2 where Jesus is 12 years old at the temple. That's the last time we see him in the chronological timeline of the Bible. So Joseph's life consisted of maybe 20 verses where he's mentioned directly or indirectly. And yet there's, there's a lot that we can learn from him um, because we all know when difficulties and struggles come for us, how we face those struggles um, reveals what our true character is like. So let's delve into Joseph and look at a major problem, probably the major problem that um, he had to deal with. So beginning in, in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So obviously, 2,000 years after the fact, this, this could sound innocuous to us, but then we have to put ourselves in Joseph's place without the benefit of hindsight. So he finds out that his betrothed is pregnant, and he clearly played no role in the pregnancy. Whether she was starting to show, um, or whether she told him that she had a visitation from the angel Gabriel, we, we don't know. But suddenly, there's a baby on the way, and this little human being growing inside of Joseph's betrothed isn't his. And Jewish culture of that time, when they said that someone was betrothed, the betrothal was, was actually as legally binding as a marriage. Um, it, it's, it's, diff, diff, it's different from how people get engaged today, obviously, because that's not legally binding. Um, and if, if you skip ahead to verse 19, you'll actually see that Joseph is mentioned as Mary's husband. Um, and if you're looking at your Bible right now at, at that verse, uh, pretty much all of the translations will use the word husband except for the New Living Translation, which says that they were engaged, but the actual, actual translation is husband. So Jewish marriage customs had two stages. They had the betrothal, which was the kedushin, and then they had the marriage ceremony, which was called the huppah. Marriages during that time were actually arranged by the families of the bride and groom. It was, it was an arranged marriage and the bride and groom normally didn't have a choice. They were matched up and, and that was it. And usually a contract was entered into. It was drawn up um, by the groom or the groom's family. And then the groom or the groom's family paid a dowry or the, or the bride price. And that settled the contract. And at that point, the contract was legally binding and the bride and groom were considered legally married even though they hadn't gone through the, the marriage ceremony. The wedding and any intimate relations between the couple didn't take place until maybe a year later. And the bride continued to live with her family during that time. And during that time, the betrothed were actually expected to behave like husband and wife, minus the living together and minus any type of intimate relations. 
seen as a time of testing. It was a, a, a test of fidelity between, between the bride and the groom. It was a time of faithfulness between the man and the woman who were betrothed. And the betrothal was publicly announced. Everyone knew about it. And the betrothal could only be broken by two ways, death or divorce. So it's during this time that we meet Joseph for the very first time. And, and he's clear, clearly been given news that he just doesn't want to hear. And you, you can just imagine the gossip that's going around through the community. Oh, hey, Joseph, your, your wife, Mary, she's, she's pregnant. And you know, everyone's talking about it. And who's the father? Who's the father? Is it you? So now, now, now that we put ourselves into Joseph's mind exactly at that time, we have a pretty good idea of what he's going through. Um, it leads, obviously, to just one conclusion in his head. Mary has been unfaithful to me. What am I going to do? And that takes us to verses 19 and 20. And her husband, Joseph, being a just and un and man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, and we'll, we'll pause here, Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man and who was unwilling to put Mary to shame. So the legal penalty for a betrothed virgin caught in adultery, in addition to the man who, who was caught in adultery with her, if they knew who that was, was death by stoning. This is according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 to 24. That was a prescribed penalty for this. But there was a second way, and that way was to publicly shame the woman by giving her a, a certificate of divorce. But the Bible tells us that Joseph was a just man. To the Hebrews, who were the intended readers and intended listeners of Matthew's gospel account, a just man was someone who was righteous according to Jewish understanding, meaning that Joseph was very religious. He was a religious Jew who obeyed the Jewish laws. This is very similar to how Paul would describe himself in, in the third chapter of Philippians, where he would say, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he talks about his bona fides, and he says how prior to meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was a prime example of a Hebrew because he followed the rules. He knew the rules, and he was a strict adherent to the rules. So here we find Joseph is upset, and rightfully so. And he's an, an up, upstanding Jewish man of the time who knew the law and adhered to the law. But he had an amazing quality about him. He was merciful. He could have shown Mary his wrath, but instead he decided to show her mercy. Instead of having her blood shed or having her publicly disgraced, he chose to be merciful, to show mercy to the person he thought had betrayed him. And he would save her life by divorcing her quietly and sending her away. Mary would live, yes, and Joseph would probably take a hit in his reputation in the community, but he wouldn't have her blood on his hands or the, the blood of the unborn child uh, on his hands. He'd send her away so that, so that he wouldn't have to see her again. Joseph, when it came to, down to a matter of protecting himself or protecting Mary, he chose to protect Mary. He chose to protect her from death or public shame. And, and isn't that a, a beautiful representation of the character of God? To protect someone who hurt you, to protect someone who sinned against you, to care about another human being enough that you would let a part of yourself die like your reputation in order to protect that person from death or shame or both. So Joseph was a righteous man, he was a just man, and he was a merciful man, but he was also a wise man. Because of the first part of verse 20 says, 
He considered these things, which means he didn't rush to make a decision. He thought about the possibilities and the consequences of his actions. Basically, there were, there were two outcomes. Ma Mary and the baby die, or Mary and the baby live. And because he was a merciful man, and because he was a wise man, he was slow to wrath. Um, I mean, many of us, we, it, it, a lot of us sometimes, when, when we're under pressure, when we're under stress, we just, our tempers flare, uh, we, we lash out. And, and sometimes we say things that we shouldn't, even though maybe deep down we actually mean it, when we should be waiting for a more appropriate time and place to actually air those feelings or to make those decisions. So Joseph thought things through and considered all the possible options and was going to actually take action when suddenly something happens, as written in the next verses. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and she'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew writes, behold, and, and which is a word that we've seen in a previous lesson. So he wants us to really pay close attention to what's written next, because it's very important. And what's important here is that an angel of the Lord, a messenger from God most high, has, is bringing a message to a man who is very troubled at this very moment. The angel tells him not to be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid of the, of the whispers of scandal. Don't be afraid about your reputation in the community because this is a God-given thing. This is something that God has ordained. This wasn't something that you or Mary did inappropriately, as the gossipers were saying. This wasn't a sin that you self-inflicted upon yourself and now you're looking for a way out. This is God's plan, Joseph, trust and obey. And the angel calls him son of David. And on the surface, the meaning is, is exactly what it says. In, in the opening passages of, of Matthew chapter one, we see a genealogy from, of Jesus from Abraham to Joseph. And the genealogy ends in Matthew chapter one, verse 16 as, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So the angel is acknowledging and addressing the fact that Joseph is a direct descendant of King David, that Joseph has a royal bloodline, that Joseph is descended from Israel's most famous king, who it was said was a man after God's own heart. And the angel actually reveals something a lot deeper. The angel, show, or the angel shows Joseph that, and shows us that Joseph was chosen by God, just as Mary was. So without Joseph, Jesus would not have been born into the house of David. The Bible prophesied that the Messiah would come from the house of David, so Joseph helps fulfill this messianic prophecy. Joseph, because he was with the, from the house of David, gives Jesus his earthly lineage, and now this prophecy is on its way to being fulfilled because this child to be born is of royal heritage is of the Davidic line. So after being told this, what does Joseph do? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, 
and he called his name Jesus. So we, we know from the end of verse 24 that they got married, right? Mazel tov, time to celebrate. Um, and, and we know that Joseph obeyed because he gave the baby the name which he was commanded, Jesus. And many of you know, or some of you may not know, that the Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, or the proper pronunciation in Hebrew is Yeshua. And the name means the Lord saves. So Jesus' name means the Lord saves. So we're beginning to see here that there are no coincidences in the Bible, that everything is ordained by God. God had everything planned out. But there, there's one more character trait here that I want you to notice about Joseph. And I didn't realize it until I really started researching this lesson. I'm wondering if anyone can see it, if anyone wants to point it out, if you see it up there. Probably not. No one wants to hazard a guess. It's okay. We'll skip on to the amplified version. Then Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary to his home as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she had given birth to a son, her firstborn child. And he named him Jesus. Joseph maintained Mary's purity. He protected her purity. He did not have intimate relations with her until the Lord Jesus Christ was born. He kept her pure and he kept her a virgin. Joseph helped preserve the purity of God's prophecy that a virgin would give birth to the Messiah. Joseph was just a simple carpenter and yet he was truly a man of noble character. God could have chosen anyone to be an earthly father to Jesus. He could have chosen a, a rich man or a king or a military leader. But instead God chose a humble, poor carpenter to be a father figure to the Son of God. This says a lot about the people who God chooses. So I want to I want to give you seven things that we can learn from the carpenter. Uh, three of these things will highlight Joseph's character and four of these will be questions that we need to ask ourselves. So the first thing is that Joseph was a good provider. It's not explicitly stated in our, in our study verses or the other verses uh, where Joseph is mentioned. Now, there's no, but there's nothing to suggest that Mary, Jesus, or any of Joseph and Mary's children went hungry or that they had to beg for food or that they didn't have a roof over their heads. And the Lord Jesus Christ picked up Joseph's carpentry trades so we know that that family was cared for. And by being a good provider, um, this also includes the fact that Joseph was wise and he thought about the future. The second thing about Joseph, Joseph was a protector. Uh, we didn't go over these verses, but Thomas mentioned it during uh, communion when Joseph was warned by an angel in a dream that Herod intended to murder all of the children in the local area who were the same age as Jesus. Joseph saved the lives of both Jesus and Mary by escaping to Egypt. And he was also a protector because he protected Mary from death and shame. He was a protector because he was merciful to Mary. He was a protector because he was slow to anger. And he was a protector because he preserved her purity. And the third thing, Joseph was faithful. So this is exemplified by his obedience. It's in, exemplified by his trust in God. It's exemplified by his humility. 
and th these are character qualities that we went over in, in the earlier part of the lesson. All of these traits are, are what a good man, what a godly man should be. It doesn't matter if he's a plumber or an artist or a company president. He should be a good provider, regardless of whether he's married or regardless of whether he's single. He should be a protector, someone who protects his wife, someone who protects his children, someone who protects his aging parents or, or the woman that he cares about and he protects them from threats, physical and spiritual. And he should be faithful, modeling his actions and his character after the Lord Jesus Christ. And now four questions to ask ourselves. The first being, will you count the cost before making a life-changing decision? So we are a people who are more often than not governed by our own selfishness and instinct and our own pride and our own passions. When we're threatened like Joseph was, the, the survival instinct kicks in and, and those thoughts of look out for number one fill our heads. But, but the church is the bride of Christ. And we hear that read over and over again. And we, all of us, the church, and as individuals, are in, currently in the betrothal period. The wedding feast is to occur later when God the Father meets each of us as we pass from this life on to the next. So this time on earth is for us a testing period, a time when we must show our fidelity, show our faithfulness to our creator. We have to demonstrate our loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus will never break his betrothal to us. He'll never break his engagement to his church, to any one of us. He will never be unfaithful to us. And so we must be faithful to him. And in Michael's lesson over Thanksgiving weekend, he, he encouraged us to be, more, to be more than just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We can't be Christians in name only, yet our hearts belong to the world and we do the things that the world does and we still claim to be a Christian. Joseph built his faith on a solid foundation and it wasn't until the, the angel visited him that he realized that this child that he would be raising would be the cornerstone, would be the firm foundation upon which our faith is built and upon which Joseph placed his trust and his obedience. And so can we do the same? Um, do we really think about the ramifications of the decisions that we make? Do we think about how what we're about to say or do will affect others? Because decisions are cause and effect. Consequences, there are consequences, whether they're, whether they're good or bad. All of our decisions, no matter how big or how small, will affect others. The second question. Will you be merciful with people who have hurt you? People throw stones all the time these days. They, they publicly shame people who've hurt them. They ridicule, ridicule those who aren't like them, who don't measure up to their, their personal beliefs. But Joseph showed mercy to someone he thought had betrayed him. So if this event had taken place in another time, in another place, maybe in the even further distant past or in the present or in the far distant future, and let's say the Son of God was not involved, the way Joseph acted, he still acted differently from how the world would act. The arrogant person, the entitled person, the, the proud person, they would have chosen to throw stones instead of showing mercy. They would have chosen to publicly humiliate the person who hurt them. They would have chosen, and they did, to crucify an innocent man instead of crucifying their own selfish wants and desires. And that's because the arrogant, 
the proud, the entitled, they, they only care about their reputation in this world. Which leads us to our third question. Is your reputation in this world so important that you'll sacrifice your character to obtain it? Our morals and our integrity are directly tied to our character. Joseph could have protected his own reputation and publicly disgraced Mary by divorcing her and making a show of her and just relishing and enjoying the anguish and the shame that she experienced. Instead, he took Mary as his own wife and raised the Lord Jesus Christ as his own. He shared in whatever shame the gossiping neighbors and the town folks were spreading about them. And when it came down to being a, a person of integrity, Joseph did not budge because he knew that God does not care at all about the reputation that we build for ourselves in this world. God cares about our character and how our character matches the character of his son. And what is that character? That character is integrity over ideology, good morals instead of, instead of worldly choices, accountability for our actions instead of irresponsible excuses, genuinely putting the welfare of others over our own, living sacrificially instead of selfishly. That's who Joseph was. Which leads us to our final question. Will you preserve the purity of what Christmas is to the Christian? Christmas is a, it's, it's a holy time, not a time of excessive spending or trying to impress others. It's not about the presents under the tree and mistletoe and holly, as much as we love to sing those songs. And it's, it's not about who can bring the most gifts or who can cook the best food or who can brag the best about, about their life that year over the, the dinner table or whose house has the best decorations inside and out. It's, it's about you being present as you are. It's about being there for the people who matter to you and, and who you matter to. Joseph and Mary, they weren't, they weren't rich and they may do with what they had. So it's not about the presence under the tree. It's about God come to earth to bring the gift that we all desperately need, salvation. Christian holidays are, are a time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those in whom it hasn't taken root yet. And, and we're, we're talking about the true Christian message here, which isn't just about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Alistair Begg has often said, you can't have Christmas without the cross of Calvary. And he's right. Christmas and Easter are inseparable. You can't have the baby laying in the major and not expect him to grow up to be the man who was nailed to the cross, to be the man, same man who died and rose from the dead three days later and ascended to heaven. And we know that the way a lot of people who call themselves Christian are living their lives, and we know them, we work with them, we play sports with them, we engage in activities with them, but based on the way they live their lives, it's as if they clearly don't want this baby to grow up. Jesus as a helpless infant is safe to the unbelieving. Jesus as a helpless infant is safe to a world that denies God. Jesus as an infant is safe to the Christian who is a Christian in name only. He's safe while he stays in that little feeding trough, but once he grows up and once he starts his ministry, Jesus becomes dangerous to those people. Because what's he gonna ask us to do? He's going, he's going to tell me, a, a person professing to be a Christian, that I need to live better than I'm living now. He's, he's actually going to hold me accountable for everything that I do and say.
because I say I'm a Christian? Most people don't want that. They, they don't want this baby to grow up. They don't, they don't even want them to be born, some of them. They want to live their own lives and, and do what they want to do without accountability or without consequence. They're afraid of him and they want to keep him locked up in a stable or they want him buried in the tomb or they want to leave him at church when Christmas time is over only to be remembered again the next Sunday or on Easter or whenever they get into trouble. And then he's forgotten again. Because here's what Jesus is going to ask you to do. He's going to ask you to be a just person, not according to popular culture, but according to his will. He's going to ask you to be a righteous person, not according to worldly standards, but according to godly biblical principles. He's going to ask you to be a merciful person, not for show in all situations, but when no one, but when no one is looking. He's going to ask you to be selfless, to put aside your worldly wants and desires for the sake of the needy in your own family or within your own community, or for the sake of the brothers and sisters suffering overseas and other parts of the world. He's going to ask you to be humble, not because he wants you under his foot and humiliated, but because he himself is genuinely humble and submissive to the will of God even to the point of suffering and dying on a cross for the sins of all who would believe in him. He's going to ask you to strive for purity, purity in your thoughts, purity in your words, and purity in your actions. And like Joseph of our study today, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to ask you to truly trust and follow him, to follow him on that narrow path of obedience, that narrow path of submission, that narrow path of humility and anonymity especially anonymity. Because in the Bible and in this life that we're living in now here on earth, there's only one who deserves all of the fame and all of the glory, and that's God. Joseph's life consisted of just a few small verses, and, and he's hardly ever thought of. But in his relative anonymity, this was a man who believed God and trusted God, and so must we. When we preserve the purity of what Christmas is to the Christian, we're also presenting and preserving to the world who Christ is supposed to be to the Christian. And who is he? Three simple words. Jesus is God. And so worship him. Trust and submit to him. Make yourself secondary to him. And follow him. Follow him all of your days. Um, and so Nathaniel has chosen joy to the world as our closing song. So as he leads us in song, I just want to encourage you to remember that you know, some people may see a little bit of this message as something that will convict them that may not be, seem positive at the onset. But it, it is because Christ coming to the world is a joy for us. It's because of Jesus that we're saved. And it's because of examples of, of people like Joseph in the Bible that point us in the direction that we should go. So let's all, let's all rise and stand and um, allow Nathaniel to lead us in song.